got a, a few announcement things I wanted to share real quick before uh, we jump into the message today. I just want to say real quick, uh, not, it's not even that quick, I just want to say real genuinely how amazingly proud I am of you guys and what you did in the last month for Speed the Light. As of last week, when we took up our offering last week, you guys turned in $2,551.44 towards our $42,500 goal, which is awesome. Today, you turned in an additional $470 before the service even started, which brings us right now to a total of $3,021.44 raised for Speed the Light. Come on, would you give God a hand clap of praise for that? Now, let me tell you why that's awesome, right? First and foremost, because we are accomplishing what God told us he was going to do through us. And that is the main thing. That is the most important aspect of making sure that we trust the Lord and we go in and we move into that thing. And then there's been other benefits. We've been able to see how gifted you guys are in so many different categories, how talented you are, the anointing that God has over your life. Some of you have been able to realize that uh, you have talents and giftings and people are willing to invest in you if you're willing to put yourself out there. And that's been awesome. Uh, but we also have some practical objectives that we've been working on. See, 42500 plus, that's a lot of money. And between now and then, you could easily forget about it or get lost in it or just be overwhelmed by how much that is. So we got together with some of our Speed the Light team, just some people and some students who have come together to help us plan some of this out. And uh, we're in the midst of finalizing this really cool board uh, that is going to help us keep track of how much we raise towards our goal. And on that board, you'll also see a list of objectives. You ever play a video game or something like if you're playing 2K? I've been on 2K lately. And uh, when you hit an objective, you get a certain pack or you get cards or you get prizes when you reach certain objectives. So we have certain objectives on our way to 42000 plus, right? So every $3,000... We will reach an objective, and our leaders have volunteered to put themselves through some insane things in order to motivate you to continue to give. For example, as of today, we hit our first objective. So barring any unforeseen circumstances, next week, our very own JP, Jonathan Paloma, in the back. Jonathan, wave for us. Hey! One of our bull small group leaders, he has volunteered to do a five-minute ice bath. And so we're going to fill that tank with water. We're going to throw tons of ice in there. We're going to put them in there. We're going to give them ice cream to eat, popsicles to eat. He's just going to be completely frozen for five minutes because you reached your first objective of $3,000. So give it up for JP, baby. Putting his body on the line for missions. That's what's up. And listen, there are some, yo, there's some crazy things that some of these, one of the leaders, a very hairy one, man, I mean, he's agreed to uh, have his legs waxed in front of all of you. Uh, some people have agreed to allow you to duct tape them against the walls and let them hang up there. I mean, they've come up with some crazy stuff. Somebody has agreed to eat the world's hottest pepper if you reach their total amount. And so there's some crazy stuff that we have lined up, but we only, they only have to do it if we reach those goals. So keep that in mind. On top of that, you know, competition's always healthy. It always kind of helps motivate each other. And so we got a little bit of our small group competition. We got some special prizes for the small group who raises the most money at the end of all this. And just to give you a heads up on where we at with that, 
Uh, so far, if we're doing it in place, in fourth place, we have right now the Stallions who have given a total of $275. In third place, ooh, who, thinks, who thinks they're in third place? What, what small group is in third place? The what? Oh, now you got quiet. Who thinks, what small group is in third place? The Lions? Who says the Lions? All right, who says the Bulls? Who says the Eagles? In third place, we have the Eagles with $432. So it means uh, between first and second are the Bulls and the Lions. How many think the Lions are in first place? Dang, that's messed up. How many think the Bulls are in first place? All right. Well, in second place with $699, we have the Lions, which means the Bulls currently are in the lead with $1,127 given to speed the light. (laughs) So we got a lot of uh, really cool prizes and incentives and parties and things that we're planning and organizing Uh, But again, let me bring it back to the reason we're doing this. We want to make sure that we are generous. We want to make sure that we put God first. We want to make sure that his mission is being accomplished and that God's name is being glorified all over the world. And so to do that, uh, we are supporting our missionaries and we are supporting this project that is building water wells in parts of Africa where they don't have clean water. And on that board, you'll see a list of reasons why we do it and why the need is so big. And so... Can't wait to have that for you guys and show you all that God is doing. Amen? So we've been in this series uh, called Christianese, right? And every week I've been talking about a word that we often use in church, but maybe we don't always really understand what it means. It's just kind of one of those words that we use so often. And uh, a lot of times, if you're not careful... You might understand a word in your language or in your culture, but somebody else who even speaks the same language may not know it. For example, I was talking to a buddy of mine in England today, and sometimes his kid jumped on the FaceTime, and I asked her, hey, so what grade are you in? But they don't say grade in school. They say year. So I'm a year one, I'm a year two, I'm a year three. They don't say, you know, I'm in fourth grade or sixth grade. So she looked at me like I was a moron, and she's, um, she's like, year one. I was like, Whatever that means, sure, good for you. You're in year one, right? So a lot of times, you can be speaking the same language and not be speaking the same language, if you know what I mean. You lose things because there are words that you're used to that even a sixth grader understands, but if you're just not in that context, it doesn't make sense to you. Well, that's where we came out with this Christianese. There are just some words used in church. We talked about, for example, the phrase, in Jesus' name, why we end every prayer with that. We talked about offering and what it means to give an offering. And uh, we've used a few different words. And today, I want to talk about a word that's very dear to me that you've heard in a bunch of different contexts, but I'm not sure you fully understand what it means within the context of church. And that's the word servant. Say servant. Try that again. Say servant. Okay. Servant, when we think about it, we don't always think about it in the best of light. We either think like a server, like at a restaurant, somebody who comes and, you know, takes up your food order, or we think of a servant like a butler, like on a TV show, someone who comes and serves somebody, or, you know, a king who has servants who comes and bows down and does the king's will. And so we have these different connotations when it comes to service. And oftentimes, when we're thinking about a servant, uh, we think of it not in a great light. 
right? So those of you who have brothers and sisters, uh, if you told one of them, hey, you're going to be my servant for the day, they'll probably fight you, right? Or I used to do this with my We would have bets, and it's like, all right, whoever loses, you got to be my servant for the whole day. And you got to bring me water and make me sandwiches, and you got to take care of me all day long. And a lot of times, we don't want to be servants. The reality is, if we're honest with ourselves, we want to be served. We want people to love us and take care of us and bring us stuff. We want to be the ballers. We want to be able to pay people to do things for us or to come and take care of us. We don't want to be the servant. We want to be the served. And yet in the kingdom of God, that's just not how it works. In the kingdom of God, the servant is held in higher regard than the one who served. And for me, just to give you a little backstory on my history, those of you who maybe don't know me, I've been in ministry here at Excel and here in this church full time for 12 years. Before that, I was a volunteer youth leader for five years. I've never gone to Bible college. I didn't go to any program. I didn't get any like certifications. Really, there's no on-paper reason or resume why the church should have hired me to do this job. In the world's eyes, I'm completely unqualified to do this job. All I had was somebody who was willing to teach me. And I remember being really insecure early on because I look at other people I'm like, but they're trained or their family, you know, they come from pastors or, or they've been Christians longer. And, you know, I look at everybody else and I just always felt like they were better than me because I wasn't equipped. Even after becoming a pastor, I would look at other pastors and feel like, well, they're better than me because, you know, they went to that Bible college or, or they got trained in this situation and, and I didn't have any of that. So I'm less than. But here's what I learned real quickly. You can have all the degrees and you can have all the whatever things on your wall, but you can't outserve me because I'm in control of that. I'm not in control of what I didn't get to do or what I didn't get to be a part of. I didn't even know about any of those things, but I was in control of being a servant. And so here was my attitude. I'm going to outserve everybody, right? If pastor needs something, I'm taking care of it. Picking up chairs like you did last week, I'm on it. Running around, getting things for the service, I'm ready to do it. As a matter of fact, I wanted the pastor to always look to me first. I'm like, listen, I want to be your main guy. I want you to look at me. When you need anything, I want you to call on me first. I want you to rely on me to the point where you feel like I'm going to ask Joey and I never got to think about it anymore because Joey's got this. And that's where my training came from. That's where my development came from, is just serving. I would pick up people's trash. I would throw away people's plates during lunch. I would do whatever I could to serve. And it wasn't to get ahead necessarily. It was to get under people's teaching, to learn from people, to grow. Because I knew what God was calling me to do, but I also knew that I wasn't ready to do it. Servanthood is powerful when it comes to the kingdom of God. And it's something that God asked each and every one of us to be. And a lot of times we think, well, I want to be a leader. That's cool. That's a great thing to aspire to. But you can't even do that if you don't first to take the title of a servant. If you're expecting one day to become a leader, even today, if you're like, hey, I'm a leader already, not if you're not willing to be a servant first. Because the greatest leaders are also the greatest servants. So I want to talk to you. To be a servant means that you're in service or trying to help someone else. It's an act of humility. It's an act of going under someone else's authority or under someone else's just personhood and saying, hey, I am here to serve you. I am here to take care of you. I want to help you. It's incredibly humbling to be a servant. And oftentimes, again, in our mentality, we think, no, but if I want to get up in the world, then I can't be serving people down there. Well, let me tell you a story real quick in the Bible. 
In John chapter 13, this is right after an interesting conversation. If you follow the life of the disciples, there was a constant fight they had among each other. All the way up to the crucifixion of Jesus. They always fought over this one topic. Who was the greatest among us? Everybody was always trying to outdo each other. I'm greater than you. No, I'm greater. I'm Jesus' favorite. You know how like sometimes you do that with your mom and dad? You're like, hey, mom, who's your favorite? And she's like, don't ask me that. And you're like, I'm your favorite, right? Or you might be like the only son in the family. Like, mom, who's your favorite son? And say, like, well, you're my only son. I know, but who's your favorite, right? There's this thing where we do where we always want to be affirmed more than everybody else. And the disciples, they would do that. They felt like because we're following Jesus, the King, the Messiah, who we think he is, that when he goes away, he's going to establish a hierarchy. He's going to make us, these 12 guys, we're going to be in charge of the world. And among the 12, I want to be in charge of y'all. So each of them, they always battled and they always argued over who was the greatest among them. And in chapter 12 of John, they're having this argument. So it's interesting what happens in chapter 13. In chapter 13, they're having this meal during the Passover. This is uh, right before Jesus is about to get crucified, uh, some days before that. And listen what happens in verse 2. I'm going to read a few verses, 2 through 17, and pay attention to what's going on in the story. It says, it was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, Simon of Iscariot, to betray Jesus. All right, so Judas was already locked in. That he's going to be the one to betray Jesus. He's going to be the one to turn him in to the officials so that he can be arrested, beaten, bruised, crucified, and killed. The Bible continues to say, Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet drying them with the towel he had around him. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, he said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I am doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hand and my hands as well. Lord, not just my feet. Let me just pause for a second to give you context of what's going on. In this culture, in this time, this is a desert community, and they didn't have cars. They didn't have, you know, shoes like we would have. They walked around in sandals all the time. They walked around in dry land, which means dirt and dust and sand and all that kind of stuff. And oftentimes, it was customary when they would walk into a house, especially for a a really nice meal, that their feet would be washed. The job of, of feet washing always fell on the least or the, you know, the, the least in the hierarchy of servants. And so it's a job that nobody wanted to do. Feet smell, you know, feet, and these feet, these are like Flintstone feet, right? They're just dirty, they're crackly, they're dry, they're, they're filled with a day's worth of walking around on dirt. You know, you don't want to be the one to have to wash those feet. And so the job always fell to the lowest servant because who's he or she going to make do it, right? They're the last one in the totem pole. And so this job was always basically in their head. It's for the worst person in the room. It's for the least person in the room. And here Jesus, he gets up after having their meal. For whatever reason, their feet weren't washed beforehand. And he takes off his clothes and he wraps a towel around himself. And just talk about the humility. He's the teacher. He's their rabbi. He's their king. And now he's disrobing. He's putting on a towel. And he's taking the job of the least servant. 
This is incredibly weird for them. And so in this moment, Peter's like, are you kidding me? You're not going to wash my feet. You're God. Like, you can't wash my feet. And he tells him, listen, unless I wash your feet, you're not going to receive what I have for you. And he's like, oh, well, then, you know, wash all of me. And he goes on to say, no, we don't, we don't have to wash all of you because you're already clean. It says, a person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for their feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him, that it was meant what he said, not all of you are clean. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again, sat down and asked, do you understand what I'm doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right. Because that's who I am, or that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you have know these things, God will bless you for doing them. The problem that we can easily have with being a servant is this insecurity that we're saying somebody's better than we are. And all of us in this room, beginning with me, have struggled at one point or another with that insecurity. But here's what I need you to understand if you're taking notes, because there's a few lessons that Jesus teaches us when it comes to washing feet. And if you're taking notes, number one, it's this. Servants are secure in who they are. Servants are secure in who they are. Look back up at the beginning of that verse, right? Listen to what Jesus says. He says, Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. Jesus understood his relationship with God. He was confident in who he was and what he was meant to do. People who are insecure are not confident in that relationship. They're struggling with how people are going to look at them, with how people are going to treat them, with how people are going to talk to them. He didn't have this issue. Jesus didn't struggle with that because he knew, I'm God. I'm not worried about what anybody thinks. I'm not worried about what anybody says because I know who I am. Oftentimes, if you're struggling with insecurity, I would argue that a big part of that is because you don't know who God says you are. You don't have a clear understanding in your relationship with God. Because when God declares something over you, when God speaks something over you, when God says you're his, there's no reason for insecurity. Oh, well, you know, that person's prettier than me or smarter than me or taller than me or whatever than me. Yeah, but you know what they're not? They're not you. You are the only you. And God saw you and said you are worth dying for. You are worth sacrificing for. You are worth bringing back to life. You are worth restoration. You are worth loving. So when you know that and you're confident of that when it comes to God, if God thinks of that about me, what do I care what you think about me? You're a moron, right? I don't care what you think. I don't care what you're saying. Yours are just words. I mean, in 10 years from now, I'm not even going to know you anymore. And yet I'm tripping about how you're acting towards me. I'm worried that you don't like me. You don't even like yourself. Right? And so we get into this battle because people say bad things and, and insecure people want to make other people insecure. And so they try to lift themselves up by putting other people down. But the servant, because he's secure, he has no problem lifting somebody up, not putting them down. I don't have to put you down to raise myself up. I'm already up, baby. 
And so because I'm secure in that, I'm going to serve you and I'm going to lift you up too. See, the servant is not worried about, oh, they're going to think I'm a servant. Or they're gonna th-. No, the servant knows, no, no, I know who I am. I know who God says I am. But I don't think you do. So I'm going to serve you. And I'm going to love you. And I'm going to humble myself before you in order to lift you up too. In order to help you understand who God is. There is such a powerful security in a servant. And again, we see this all the time in, in the streets. We see this all the time in the neighborhood. And I, I, this is how it was for me, and I'm sure it's not the same way, or it's the same way. When I would hang around with a bunch of dudes, and we were getting into it with somebody, and there was a kid that was barking, you know, a lot of talk. I knew that kid was insecure. He didn't want to fight. Like that guy, the one who keeps saying he wants to fight, he don't want to fight. That's why he's talking so loud. Insecure. You know who I'm nervous about? That dude in the corner who's not saying anything. The dude who's really chill, nah, I ain't ain't trying to mess with that guy. Why? Because he he doesn't feel like he has to say anything. He knows who he is. I'm I'm not going to mess with that one. The barker, yeah, that's a chihuahua. You can kick that dog across the street. It's not going to do anything. The silent one, the secure one, that person who's always making fun of everybody, insecure. I'm not worried about that person. They don't even love themselves. The person who's always talking great about everybody, the person who tells you, I don't say that, man. Don't worry about that. Hey, it's okay, bro. That's the person, man. I love secure people. To be secure means you're immovable. It means you're locked in. Right? It's not going to wiggle. It's not going to shake. It's not going to fall down. My security is in Christ. And if Christ was secure enough to take the role of a lowly servant, why wouldn't I? If Christ was secure enough to say, I will take the least position in the house and wash my disciples' feet. Even though in our eyes, they're there to serve you. He's like, no, 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 I'm here to serve them. Mark chapter 10, verse 42 through 45. Listen to what the word says. So Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the world lord it over people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it'll be different. Let me pause that right now. He said, hey, listen, you know right now people in authority, people with, with uh, popularity, people who have that kind of clout, they love to show it off. They love to flex that on you. They love to act like they're better than you. They like to make you feel like they're better than you. But you, you're going to be different. When I give you authority in the kingdom of God, when I put you in position among you, it'll be different. Because whoever wants to be a leader among you must first be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be a slave to everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Here's the crazy part if you think about that room. Any one of those 12 disciples would have gladly washed Jesus' feet. But none of them would have washed each other's feet. Right? Yes, I wash Jesus' feet because he's God. He's my rabbi. He's my teacher. He's my Messiah. Yes, I'm following you everywhere. I've been following you for the last three years. Lord, you need me to wash your feet? I got you. But I won't wash his feet. Because if I wash his feet, then that tells everybody else that I think he's better than me. And what does Jesus do? He flips the script on all of them. And he says, don't worry. I know you won't wash each other's feet, but I'll wash each of your feet. And if I'm willing to wash each of your feet, then you need to learn to be willing to wash each other's feet. See, a lot of times, you might do something for me, 
because you respect the position that I have or, or we have that connection and that relationship. And I'm, I'm very grateful for that. But if you won't do that for another student, then really you're just, you're just trying to get ahead. Right? If you only take care of people that will give you something in return, if the only reason you serve is to get something back at some point or another to try to get an edge, then you're not serving, you're scheming. Okay? A servant says, I'll serve anybody because that's the nature of who I am. I'm just here to serve. I'm just here to help. I'm just here to take care of people. I want to make sure that in my service, I represent the one I serve first and foremost in God. And here's the deal, and this is why it's so important to do that in your regular life. Because people will identify you by that. And real servants lead by example. Matter of fact, if you're taking notes, that's the second thing. Servants lead by example. Jesus, he could have just sat in his chair and said that, right? He could have been like, you know what? I bet you if I asked any of you to wash my feet, you would do it. And they would have been like, yeah, you need me to wash your feet, Lord? He's like, no, 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 right? But how about washing each other's feet? He could have taught the lesson. He could have just said that. Or he could have just said, hey, listen, if you really want to be my disciples, get up and wash each other's feet. And nobody would have thought anything bad about that. What does he do? He says, hey, let me give you an example of what it means to be the king. Let me give you an example of what it means to be a real leader. Let me show you what it means to serve others. And he took the position and he gave a practical, real-life example that they could then follow and, and enact. Anybody can talk a big game, but are you willing to really get down and dirty and do the thing and give the example? That's real leadership, right? Leadership is not, hey, go do this, go do that. Leadership is, hey, let me show you how we do this. Let me get in there with you. Let me help you get in on that. Servant leaders, man, they lead by example. They're not going to just tell you, hey, we should love people. No, they show you how they love people. They're not going to say, hey, we should just serve somebody. They're going to volunteer and say, hey, what do you need help with? I want to serve. I want to be a part of what we're doing. I want to make sure that people see the love of God and what I'm doing. And listen, I'm going to be honest with you. I feel like I'm preaching to the choir because I know you guys are servants because I've seen you serve. This last year, during the whole pandemic and the heat of it, I saw you guys coming out. I had a group of you guys that came out every weekend to help us give food and, and PPE supplies in the parking lot faithfully every week. I saw you guys come out in droves when we were doing the, the Share the Love and the Grub, and we gave out over 1,700 grocery bags, and you guys were absolutely phenomenal in that. Even just last week when I said, hey, guys, we need to put up the chairs. Can I be real with you? I hated having to ask you to do that. Because in my own heart, I'm thinking, nah, we just had this service, and, and God was just moving in their lives, and man, I don't want to ask them to do anything. But at the same time, that's such a powerful reminder that none of you batted an eye. Everybody went and did it, and did it fast because everybody was involved. Those are these moments where I'm so ridiculously proud of you because you got servants' hearts, because you're people that are saying, yes, I'm willing to do it. What I'm trying to explain, though, is you got to take that servant's heart into every part of your life. So let me get hard on you for a second. Let me give you a difficult challenge. Can you take your servant's heart into your home and be an example at home? Especially when you go to homes where the people in your family aren't Christians. Because I'll tell you, when I first started coming to church, I remember my parents would pull some random stuff out, right? Like there was one time I didn't throw the trash out. And I don't know why. They're like, is that what they teach you at that church? Right? To not throw the trash out? I'm like, what does that have to do with church? 
But here's the reality. It did have to do with church because I wasn't having a servant's heart. I got to serve my family before I can serve anybody else. Hey, you know what? I'm going to do the dishes before mom and dad ask me. Why? Because I want to have a servant's heart. None of this, oh, well, I already did the dishes yesterday. Now it's his turn to do the dishes. Or now it's her turn to do the dishes. You know what? It's cool. I'm going to do whatever my parents need to do. Why? Because I want to serve my family. I'm going to serve my brother. I'm going to serve my sister. And again, I'll be honest with you. If you would have told me that when I was a teenager, I would have been like, nah, they can serve themselves, yo. Right? Because let's just be real, right? That's how it is at home. And I'm not saying it's easy, but I am saying it's real. When you're willing to step up and say, hey, I want to serve. Hey, do you need anything? Hey, can I take care of you? Now as an adult, it's no problem. My sisters ask for anything and drop of a hat. I got you. You're my family. I'm going to serve my family. As a kid, I was like, get it yourself. Right? You, you give me a cup of water. You know how to walk. Get up. Get your water. You know where it is. <laughs> but listen, it shouldn't be like that, guys. We got to be examples of who Christ are, especially when the people in your home don't know God. 1 John chapter 3, verse 18 through 19 says, Dear children, let's not merely say we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth so we can be confident when we stand before God. Don't just say you're a servant. Be a servant. Serve people in your home. Serve people at school. Serve people wherever you go. Hold doors for people. Take care. You know, when that little chaparrita old lady at the grocery store can't reach for that box, reach for the box. Be a servant to everybody. And do it with a glad heart. And listen, can I just, again, I'm going to be real with you. Don't just serve the people who you feel deserve to be served. Serve everyone. Right? God has called us to serve everyone. If you're taking notes, that's number three. Serve and serve everyone. Well, how do I see that in this story? Well, easy. There were 12 disciples. Two of them are named. Peter, anyone remember the other one? Judas. The Bible tells us in the verses that we just read that the devil had already sealed in Judas's heart that he would betray Jesus. And that God knew that, right? Jesus knew Judas is going to betray me. That's why he said, not all of you are clean. I mean, he kind of like low-key yet not low-key threw it out there. Oh, you know, hey, listen, you don't got to wash if you're all clean, but not everybody's clean. Hmm. I'm not saying he's Judas. I'm just, he's just right there. But guess what? He still washed Judas' feet, didn't he? Think about that. Jesus knew this is the one that's going to stab me in the back. This is the one who's turned his heart against me. Three years I've lived with this person. Three years I've loved him. I've trained him. I've developed him. And in just a few days, this will be the one that will give me a kiss and then betray me. Let me wash his feet. All right? Most of us are like, yo, I ought to cut his feet. All right? Let me give you a little quick manicure. A lot of us wouldn't have done that. All right? When we feel like somebody's betrayed us, that's immediately like cold shoulder, talking bad about them, not wanting to acknowledge them, wanting all your friends to hate them too, because that's what we do, right? If I don't like somebody, everybody I know better not like them. And if anyone I know likes them, then I don't like them. And we get into all this pettiness and all this drama, but that's not who God called us to be. God called us to be servants to everyone, even the Judases in our lives. 
Now, this is hard, man. That's a difficult lesson. Because these are the people, we don't want to serve them. We want to hurt them. We want them to feel pain. We want them to know we don't like them. And Jesus says, no, because I washed Judas' feet. Because Judas' feet were just as dirty as everybody else's. Listen, Matthew chapter 5, verse 44 to 48. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the just and unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different than anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. We are living in a time where everyone wants to put a dividing line on everything. Hey, you need to hate cops. No, you don't. We serve them. But they're doing that. We serve everyone. Okay? Oh, well, you need to, you know, align with that. No, no. I'm going to serve that. I'm not going to allow you to tell me who to hate when there's someone greater in my life that's telling me to love everybody else. I'm not going to allow you to, oh, well, you know, we're supposed to love Democrats and hate Republicans. We're supposed to love Republicans and hate Democrats. No, man, I'm a servant to everybody. I love everybody. I'll let them sort themselves out. But my responsibility is to love them. God's even called me to love Cardinal fans and Green Bay fans. I mean, I don't, I don't like them, but I love them. I'll serve them. <laughs> and again, those are little petty things. But sometimes we let little petty dividing things come up for a reason on why we won't serve them. But God says, listen, I served you. Who are you to not serve somebody else? I put myself under you. Who are you to act like you're better than somebody else? We need to be a servant to everybody. Because like the Bible just said right here, right? Uh, if you're only kind to your friends, how are you any different than anyone else? You know what I mean? There are murderers who have friends, and they don't murder their friends. <laughs> Does that make them better? than No, they're just. And so how are you any different? How are you going to differentiate yourself from the rest of the world? By loving and serving everybody, even the ones that everybody else hates. You know, that kid that everyone talks bad about, God's called you to serve and love them. That person that all your friends turned their back on, God told you to go and hug them and love them and serve them. Yeah, but they're like this and they're like that. So what? You were like something else too at one point or another. God loved you. That's what I love about a servant. Is a servant doesn't differentiate. Could you imagine? Again, let's take it back into the olden times. Let's say I was a king. And, and let's say Joseph here is one of my servants. And, and Sal's my guest. But Joseph doesn't like Sal. So if Sal's my guest and I go, hey, Joseph, I need you to take his coat. And Joseph's like, man, I don't like him. I'm not taking his coat. Guess who's going to the dungeon? <laughs> Joseph, wow, you're a servant. You don't have room to think about that stuff. You work for me. You serve me. And this is something that you got to understand. When he serves Sal, it's not just Sal that he was serving. He is serving me, right? When we serve, we serve God. And through serving God, we serve each other. So my motivation is not my feelings towards them. It's my feelings towards God. So if you're taking notes, number four, servants, we're driven by love. I love God. I love him enough to serve him. 
I love him enough to submit to him. I love him enough to do whatever he asks of me and whatever he calls me to do. Servants are driven by love. You know how I know this? When we started reading John chapter 13, we read verses 2 through 17. But look at verse 1. If you go back to 13.1, it says this. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. Why did Jesus have no problem serving his disciples? Because he loves them. That's his motivator. It's not because they deserved it, because they're always arguing, fighting, they're always making dumb mistakes. I mean, time after time, they, they just messed up all over. But he loved them. And I think about this, and I've used this example a few times, but, you know, my daughter could be so mean to me sometimes, and she's only 17 months but there's, there's these times where I'm like, almost every day, I go, Josie, um, can I please have a beso? And immediately, as soon as the question's over, no. I'm like, Ugh. hey, Josie, Josie, Josie. She, and she'll look at me, can I have a beso? No. And then she'll go back to doing her thing. And, just, and sometimes she won't even look at me. She'll just be doing I'm like, Josie, can I have a beso? No. And I'm like, you're so mean to me. <laughs> but I still love her. She's mine. She poops, I clean it, she's mine. I serve my daughter all day long, and I don't ever feel bad about it. I came home yesterday tired, nine o'clock at night, what I have to do, give her a bath. Why? It's her bath time, because I have to serve her. I have to sit here and wash her little crusty booty and do all these other things. I've had my hand full of every bodily fluid she has, and I've never thought twice about it, because I love her, she's mine. Like, if your kid pooped on me, I'd be mad. It's your kid. Your kid shouldn't poop on me. <laughs> but when my kid does it, she's mine. I'm motivated by love. So I do anything for this kid because she's mine. So you got to think about it. Jesus, when he looks at us, he says, you're mine. I have no problem serving you. But just like his children, he wants you to serve each other. Because now I got another little girl on the way in August. And I want that little girl and Josie to love each other. And I want them to serve each other. And I want them to be there for each other because I love both of them. See, Jesus loves the people you don't like. Jesus loves the people that don't like you. Because God loves us. God loves people. And the greatest thing we can do to show our love for God is to serve each other and to love each other. That's why he said that, right? I, I, I knew that my time was coming, and I've loved these guys the whole time I've been with them, and I'm loving them till the end because they're mine. Even Judas, still mine, and I still love him. This is something that if we can start to understand when we have an opportunity to serve someone, remember, you're doing it not just for them, but you're doing it for God, out of your love for God. There's been so many opportunities where people have shown me that kind of love. There's this book called The Five Love Languages. Oftentimes, couples will read it or married couples or dating couples that are trying to figure each other out. It's a really cool book. And the reason it's called The Five Love Languages is because basically what it's saying is people receive and, and share love in at least five different ways. And so you might think you're showing somebody's love, but if they don't 
receive love that way, then they may not be picking up what you're throwing at them. For example, one of them is words of affirmation. So somebody's love language might be words of affirmation, meaning they feel love when you say nice things to them, when you tell them you love them or you compliment them on something. Like those words mean a lot to them. So if that person, if you buy them a present, in your mind, I'm showing you my love. But if they're not big on presents, they may not feel like that was a big deal. So you probably would have gotten a lot better if you just said, hey, I really appreciate what you did last night, and man, you're just so awesome, and I just love you. And that would have made their day, right? Well, my love language is acts of service. When somebody does something for me, it means the world. It's, it's your greatest way of telling me you love me. You can write me cards. You can send me presents. Please do. That's always nice. Right? You can do all those things, and that's cool, and I'm, I'm appreciative of it. But nothing means more to me than when somebody serves me, when you bring me a a cup of water, when you take care of my family, when you do these little things that that go out of your way to say, hey, I just want to serve you, Pastor. I I just love you, and I want you to know that. That means the world to me. It's those acts of service. And in the same way, I think God's love language, or one of his main ones, is acts of service, not just towards him, but towards each other. And if we can learn to serve each other and be willing to serve, and you can serve in a bunch of different ways. Listen, we, we can serve here at church, right? We need people to help work the cameras. We want to train more people to do the media stuff, especially after Jonathan's dunked in an ice cold bath. We hope he doesn't get sick after that. We need people to learn how to do the sound. You can serve by, by doing the announcements. You can serve by being on the worship team. There's a number of ways to serve to volunteer, to give freely of yourself to the benefit of somebody else. But just remember, when we serve God, we serve others. Let me just give you one last verse and then I'll wrap this up. Matthew chapter 25, verse 35 through 40 says, this is Jesus talking. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I'll tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. It's a powerful statement. He's saying every time you serve someone on earth, especially the least of these, the the down and out, the ones that are hurting, the ones that are in desperate need, every little thing you're doing for them, you're doing it to God. You're doing it for God. Serving. People is how we serve God. And and again, let me just go back to my family because this makes the most sense to me. Again, acts of service is my big thing. But the best thing you could do for me to show me you love me is to love my family, to love my daughters and my wife. Kind of cool to say daughters. To love my daughters and my wife. To serve them, to take care of them, to make sure that they're all right. That means the world to me. Why? Because they're my greatest joy. And in God's eyes, What's the greatest thing that we can do to show God we love him? Loving his children, serving his children. This is why we're doing even like the whole money thing, raising all that money for somebody that you're never going to meet this side of heaven. 
it's because it's not about me. It's about giving of myself, giving of my talents, my giftings, my time, my money to serve someone else so that someone else benefits from it. And if everybody served everybody, we would all benefit. And so I just want to challenge as we get ready to close. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to have some opportunities in the future for you to serve. And there's already opportunities now with what we're doing with Speed the Light, with some of the ministry stuff that we have. But I want to challenge you. When you hear that word servant, don't think negatively of that. Because to be called a servant is one of the highest honors you could ever receive. You are a servant of God, meaning God has trusted you to represent him on this earth. It's a huge honor, one I never want to disrespect or fail at. My hope is, as I, we make disciples, that I'm a servant and that I make servants. I replicate myself in you. And so if you want my heart and you want God's heart, you need a servant's heart. Because that's what we're going after. Not titles, not prestige, not people looking at us and saying how great we are. But people looking at you and saying how great God is. That's when you're a real good servant. When somebody looks at you and gives praise to God for what you've done. So let's close our eyes because the truth is we need God's help with this. And I want us to just quietly pray and ask the Lord to help us in this process. Heavenly Father. God, I'm just so grateful for this opportunity that you give us. Lord, servanthood is probably not something most of us would rush into line to become. And yet it's the very thing that you ask of us. And God, I just pray that each and every believer in this room would commit themselves first and foremost, long before they ever try to commit to the title of a leader, long before they ever try to aspire to rule over anybody else or to be given any kind of authority. Lord, I pray that they would humbly request the honor of being a servant. Lord, I pray that we would look for opportunities to serve people. Lord, I pray that we would start serving in our home. Lord, that we would serve our mom and dad, that we would do chores even before they ask us, that we would keep our rooms clean, that we would do well in school so that we can honor them with our servanthood, Lord, not bring more trouble on their head. God, I pray that we would serve our neighbors. Lord, that we would help them, maybe cutting grass and mowing or shoveling snow, these little acts that tell them God loves you. God, I pray that we would serve your kingdom and your church. God, that we would serve in all the various ministries so that people would come and have an opportunity to have an encounter with you. Lord, I pray that we would live a life of servanthood, that the reason we would stop serving is not because we quit, but because we're standing in front of you already and our service is done. So Lord, I pray until that very day, Give us opportunities, give us strength, give us insight and wisdom to be able to see an opportunity to serve and do it with the right heart. We pray all this in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said? Amen. 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 Come on, would you give God a hand clap of praise? Hey, listen, I just want to leave you with this little bit of a challenge. Remember, we got small groups tomorrow, and uh, we got a few of those things that are coming up. But when it comes to, like, that speed the light thing, I'm so proud of what you've done. Next week, like I said, we're going to dunk Jonathan and do all that. But keep pushing, keep serving, keep looking for opportunities, keep talking to people if you need help, and let me know what I can do to serve you. Amen? God bless you. I love you. We'll see you tomorrow. Good night.